Welcome to It's All About the Questions, where learning to ask the right questions can help you achieve lifelong success. Now, here to help you ask all the right questions is award-winning author, international speaker, and business strategist, Laura Stewart. How'd you like them apples, everybody? Thanks to Joshua Battybar, who created that for me for the opening for the show. I would love to know what you think about it. It's the first time I am using it. So I'm excited to be here with you all today and to really just have an opportunity to be with you and share some um, a great guest that I've got on my show today and to hopefully bring you forward into a new level of thinking about our topic today. It's not my usual topic. Last week wasn't either. And I do apologize for not having the last two weeks of shows up onto podcast. But by the time this goes to podcast, all of them will be up. My hand is free. It is still swelling really badly, but I'm getting much better at at using it. Um, I'm trying some new earplugs because I've been severely triggered with my sound-induced vertigo. And um, that's pretty much just emotionally shut me down. So I will be honest with everybody. The reason I haven't posted the shows up that were recorded was I just felt immobilized and emotionally shot and I couldn't get myself up to do the things that I knew I needed to do. But I'm here today and I'm excited because I thought I was going to have to postpone today because my neighbors are getting roofs (laughs) and they were supposed to start today. And um, it's not starting till tomorrow. So yay, I get to bring you my guest live here today. And I'm going to bring her on a camera just a moment. But her book is called Stroke Forward, How to Become Your Own Healthcare Advocate One Step at a Time. Her name is Marsha Moran. And as my followers for years um, know, my mom died because of a stroke. And I still get emotional about it because it's just really hard. And when I met Marsha at Steve Ulsher's virtual new media summit, where I was an icon and she was pitching and practicing her pitch, I just knew that this was too important a topic not to have on because it can affect young people, older people. Um, I mean, it, it shows no mercy when it hits. And it's something we all need to be aware of and know the signs of. And I don't remember if March is um, heart month or not. I can't remember. Marsha will probably remember that. But this is just something that I feel is so critical to be talking about nowadays. And with the AstraZeneca vaccine, people saying it can cause strokes and things like that, there is an awareness. But I want to bring Marsha in right now because I I just, Marsha, this book made me cry. It made me smile. It made me laugh. Um, And I'm just so grateful that you are here. And after surviving a stroke out of nowhere to to be here, my friend Cheryl Lusheng died from um, a stroke in her heart um, a few months ago. She was 51 years old. Well, that's terrible. So first of all, thank you for having me, Laura. And I'm sorry about your mom. I know it's... uh, it's a loss. Um, yeah. 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 And, um, you know, when I started reading the book, I had my box of tissues nearby 
which I have here too, <laughs> just in case. But I, I do have these at every episode because um, Kleenex extra, Ultra Soft, uh, because so often when you connect to something that shifts your awareness, shifts your thinking, tears come, at least for me. I right. call them Holy Spirit tears. When you when you know that your soul just connected your your conscious body to something beyond you. And that's kind of what I felt when you and I connected on virtual new media summit was strokes are something that really happen every day to so many people at different levels. Some of them, you don't even realize you've had a stroke and other ones are so debilitating like my friend Deb's dad, who a year later he can walk but it's still with difficulty yeah. because his, his right side of his, one side of his body has just been paralyzed by the stroke. Yep. Um, so what was it, what made you write this book? Okay. And what is it about your stroke that said to you, I'm taking a new path now? So, I decided to write the book while I was still in the hospital. <laughs> and at my one year anniversary, I sat down and started typing. And <laughs> that's saying a lot because when I typed, I could type two paragraphs a day. I feel that way sometimes and I didn't have a stroke. <laughs> <laughs> but I know it, it's a very different thing. I don't mean to make light of it, but I can't even imagine not being able to get your thoughts out of your body. Well, it's also, so I had aphasia. So I couldn't think of the word for a long time. So I'd look at thesaurus.com and try to think of the word. Okay. And sometimes I could think of the word, but I couldn't really spell it. So once again, thesaurus.com came in handy. It took me four and a half years to write it and publish it. That's a long time. Actually, it's pretty amazing because yeah. help, having helped many, many authors get published and write their books and, and stuff, four and a half years, some people are, are 10 years in and they still haven't published it. So yeah. I want you to recognize how huge that is, that on top of the stroke, you're one of the one percenters who have actually done what they started out with writing a book. Well, thank you. Okay. So talk, talk to me about what happened. I want people to understand what stroke symptoms are and how they can affect you. I mean, I know your husband was downstairs, right. but he didn't know what was happening to you. And when I read in the book about your husband's perspective on it, it brought me back to my mom was in the other room in my house mm -hmm. and I had heard her get up and I was like, Oh, I'm going to take a few more minutes to sleep. She's just doing her usual, go to the bathroom back. I heard the toilet. I came back. Uh, she went back. I heard her go back into a room and then I heard some other noises, but I thought it was just my mom's usual breathing patterns and things like that. And it turned, so I took a shower 
And it turns out she had had a stroke and was laying trapped on the floor that whole yeah. time. And that's a horrible feeling. Yeah. But what did it feel like for you? So I had no idea that I was having a stroke. I woke up and I felt weird. So I texted my friend Rochelle to tell her that she wouldn't be meeting me for breakfast, right? And I looked at the phone and I couldn't read it. It was funny words. So I thought, I'm just gonna text her later. I put the phone down, I rolled over and bam, I had the most excruciating headache ever. And despite the pain, I fell asleep. The next time I woke up, I know I was in serious trouble because my right side was completely paralyzed. So I had to make a decision then. I was going to find help or give up. And so I rolled myself off the bed and I dragged myself across the floor using my fingers in the carpet as leverage. Wow. <laughs> and I got to the door, which was closed. And I reached up and I don't know how many times I reached up because I couldn't actually get enough height because my body was it, the stroke and my inability to move my right side made it really hard to reach the handle. And I did reach it finally. And I, I took a break because I was really tired. And eventually I started dragging myself down the hall until I totally ran out of gas. And I thought, well, Jim will come upstairs for something to drink, right? And something went crash. And Jim came upstairs and he said, Marsha, are you okay? And that's the point I realized I couldn't speak. He Which said, is why you couldn't shout for help. That's right. Well, I didn't even try though. So I didn't even think about calling for help until he asked me, can you talk? I went, so he called 911 then and looked around the upstairs to see if he could find anything, which he couldn't. And then he came outside and waited for the paramedics. And it, I think it probably took about 10 minutes until the paramedics arrived. And one of them said, when did she have her stroke? And that was the first time my husband and I thought of the word stroke. When I saw my mom laying on the ground, I like knew immediately she had a stroke. Yeah. I could see it in her eyes. I could see her hand like trying to move and, and like her body just in a, a position. But because my mom had heart issues and everything and she's had blood clots before, I think I was more hyper aware of it. Yeah. But yet I still came out of nowhere, the right. severity of it, where I just stood there paralyzed. Like I couldn't even get down on the floor. I was, I just felt paralyzed. Like I can't do anything. Yeah. And you managed to drag yourself across out of a closed room to a hallway. And 
your husband finally heard something, a crash, which you said you never found what yeah. that crash was. I, that was to me, that's a God thing. Yeah. But um, after that, and you get to the hospital and there is a three hour window correct for them giving you anticoagulant drugs to try to break up the clot and not knowing how long the time period and you being unable to speak. I mean, what happens then for somebody going through a stroke from both sides of it? I mean, you had to be just exhausted on top of everything. So I actually lost consciousness when they loaded me into the ambulance and didn't know anything until they, I woke up in the hospital. So I was dressed in a hospital gown. I had a needle in my arm and my husband was there. And that was all I can remember thinking that things are going to be all right because my husband was there. (laughs) So with TPA, which is the thing that you mentioned, which is tissue plasminogen activator They didn't give me any because they didn't know when I'd had my stroke. And it turns out that that was the right thing because if they had, I would have had another bleed. Okay. So I think it's important to know that now back then it was three and a half hours and I think they've increased it to four and a half. Okay. But it's important to know that if they say you you shouldn't have it, trust them because they know that it's been too long for you. Right. And if you're on blood thinners or anything like that, and perhaps the blood thinners still, you had a clot with them, which was the situation with my mom. um, They can't risk giving that as well because of the excessive bleeding, which can cause a, a bigger I mean, they said to me that if if they had given it to my mom, the excruciating headache, agony, pain she would have been in would have been far worse than what she was dealing with. Wow. Um, And and you even talked about that a bit in your book about that. So you said your husband was there. Yeah. And he was able to be your advocate. Yeah. I know having been a caregiver for most of my life that not everybody is equipped to be a caregiver. And that's one of the things you, you really talk about in here as well is that you need to have somebody who can be your advocate in a hospital, especially when in your case, you had no voice. What was that like for you and your husband and for you? I mean, you were a very independent woman who ran a successful (laughs) consulting business and everything. And all of a sudden your world stopped dead and you had no way of knowing when it was going to start again. So you have to understand that my thinking skills were diminished And when people came into the room, I understood what they were saying, but I couldn't talk back to them. And so I relied on my husband to say what needed to be said. Now, here's the good thing for me. At least he knew me well enough to say the things that I agreed with. Because we laugh, but so often the the family member or friend really has no clue what what your wishes would be in a situation. Right. 
And the thing is that when the doctors or nurses or whoever said something, you have to filter out, is this really the thing I want to happen or the thing that this person will want to happen? And again, at least he said the right things for me. So it's really important for someone to talk to who they want their caretaker to be if they have any special wishes, right? Well, we didn't, we didn't have any, but I think maybe now is very different for us because we've had some conversations and we know what to do. Um, what was like, I think I was frustrated, but I think my frustration didn't last very long because I couldn't remember very long. So someone came in to the room, they talked. It was then that they talked to my husband, even though I, I could hear them. When they left the room, I completely forgot what the whole conversation was about. And that went on for quite a while. And that had to be hard as somebody who was used to being very active, mm-hmm. who was used to using her brain mm-hmm. to do a lot of things and helping other people. I mean, how did, I, I'm, I'm just so curious looking back on it now, how do you, I mean, you had no choice, right? This was just what it is. Yeah. But what came up for you? I mean, were you able to even ask yourself any questions or, or think about what this was potentially going to mean for you and your family? So I thought that I would run a 5K on my first anniversary. <laughs> okay. So that's where I was thinking. It's like, um, I have to get better. And it's funny because... My husband did everything he could to support me. So if I had said I was gonna run the 5K, okay, you'd be doing that. I found that I could think higher level things briefly and then they go away. So when I was three and a half years out, that's when the final piece came into focus for me. And I feel like after the three and a half years, I'm going to quote, I'm better. So I feel like I'm 95% there. And I'm still striving for 100% because stroke patients can get better every single day that they think they can, right? Right. So if someone out there is telling you, you have a year, That's not true. You have every single day of the rest of your life to get better. Um, A friend of mine, Ed, on his 50th birthday, had a major stroke. And our birthdays are a couple of weeks apart. And I heard about it. And he, unlike you, he wasn't able to, um, walk 
as quickly. Uh-huh. I mean, he had to stay in a wheelchair for a really long time and use all sorts of different assistive things. And uh, this is a man like you who was incredibly active and, and did all these things. And like you, he said, I, I have a chance to every day could be an improvement or a difference. At what point, or maybe you haven't, Marsha, I don't know the answer to this. That's why I'm asking the question, right? (laughs) Did you realize that your old normal was not going to be a possibility? Because I know with my ear and things that I've been dealing with for three years now, I'm trying to accept the fact that I'm, you know, okay, the old Laura is probably not coming back. Do I want that person to come back? Yeah, kind of do. <laughs> but So I'm still struggling with that myself. I'm curious for you, is, have you looked at that, thought about that, and where are you at with that? So I thought I would run a 5K on my first anniversary, and it right. didn't work. So I thought, okay, I'm going to run it on my second anniversary, and it didn't work. Because you so, ran 5Ks before. No, but I ran before. Okay. Okay. And so I thought, well, it'll be on my third anniversary. Well, by the third anniversary, I had realized that I had become a completely different person, but it took me over two years to get there. And what I'm going to say is that stroke survivors often tell you at group, you have to accept that and just move on so you can get on with your life. And I heard it and I thought, well, that's not me though. (laughs) Well, it was me. I just had a long time in accepting it. And they say that 10% of stroke survivors actually do get to 100%. And that's really important. So I'm still striving for that because it may happen. <laughs> okay, but is it is it the same 100% no. or is it a different 100% because you're a different person because of what happened? It's a different 100% because you completely changed the way you think about your life. So before I was career focused and my husband came second, now I'm people focused, my husband, my family, my friends, and other people come way first. And then there's what I do. For your husband, his life changed dramatically that day too. Um, As a lifelong caregiver, I know there's a a hypervigilance that happens once you've had a trauma like that happen to somebody in your life that you're now like always watching, always worrying. You had, you talked about it in in the book, this situation, which happens to many stroke patients. Um, You lost the ability to get that awareness of when food wasn't going the right way and you could be choking, which meant, can you talk about that? And, and what that meant for both you and your, your husband? Yeah. So 65 of stroke survivors can't swallow correctly. 
And so you're supposed to be on a liquid diet. And for us, that means a really thick liquid, not, not water, but it's really thick. So for me, my stroke was on the right side. So I took the liquid in, I turned my head to the left, I swallowed, and then I turned my head forward again. And that's because the muscles on my right side weren't working. Okay. Okay. And so the hospital set up food for lunch. And I'm thinking, woohoo, food, yay. And I took a bite and choked. And I don't know how they got it out, but someone, I suppose, reached in and grabbed it. And that's the first time my husband realized that I could die. This was serious. And so he didn't show me, but when he left the hospital, he called my sister and he talked to her and convinced her to come out that weekend. Now you have to understand this is the end of March. She's pre-COVID. <laughs> Pre-COVID. She's a CPA. This is a bad time to ask her to come. They had tax season. Oh. Yeah. And yet she was right there and said, yes, of course. Now, the day before he called her, he hadn't been so hysterical. And he didn't think anything bad would happen to me. But this is the day that he realized that I might not survive. Yeah. That's a tough realization mm -hmm. for family members to come through. Yeah. Did he tell you about that? Not until a couple of years or later. <laughs> so every day when he was in the hospital, in the rehab hospital, he put on a facade. And when he left, that's when he let his feelings show. Right. There was a little bug, sorry. <laughs> it was determined to go up my nose as I breathed in and I just didn't want that to happen. So he, he put, like most caregivers, you try to put on a stiff upper lip because you don't necessarily want the person going through it to um, understand the severity because you want them to rally and, yep. and focus on, on them. And, and also you don't want them to see you breaking down because you know, they need to focus on their own healing. Plus you're dealing with doctors and nurses and therapists and all this other stuff. So you're trying to keep yourself as together as possible. I couldn't. Oh, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. So I couldn't imagine how horrible it was for him. I really couldn't because he had to think about everything that he had to do in the house. He had to think about what he had to do with the doctors. But there was all this new stuff that he had to figure out. And for us, he's the only family member around. Which adds the added burden. Now, was he somebody that did stuff around the house prior or you basically like most 
wives, mothers, women in a relationship, you, you just handle everything. And they're like, um, where's the checkbook <laughs> kind of thing. That's pretty much it. Okay. All right. How long have you guys been married at that point? Uh, at that point, it was 26 years. Okay. All right. So that's something that people should be talking about as well. Uh, I had Jenny Lisk on my show last month, and she has the Future Widow podcast, the Widowed Parent podcast. And she wrote a book called Future Widow. She lost her husband when one day they found out he had a brain tumor. And the next eight months were in and out of hospitals because he deteriorated rapidly. And she had two kids and they had done a lot of stuff together, but still it became all of a sudden all on one person to handle everything while you're adding caregiving. Did he talk to you about what that was like? I know you, you didn't have, you don't have children, correct? So there wasn't that aspect to it, but did you guys ever, when you came out of the stroke, talk about that aspect for him? He says that he took it on willingly and gladly. So he thinks that everything he did, he did with grace because I was alive. And that's what was important to him. So it took me a while to get this stuff back. (laughs) But I will tell you that it's mostly all come back. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's taken almost, it's taken four, five years now for it to come back, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Was it hard for both of you, you from the aspect of, you're back home, you're going through massive amounts of therapy, you want some normalcy in your life to say, I'm not capable of doing this, or look at it from a perspective of, you know, it's good that he's doing it. So he was actually very kind. And he didn't ask me to do stuff that I wasn't ready to do. So over time, I brought things back on board for me. So (laughs) the most important thing was cooking. (laughs) Nobody wants to cook. (laughs) So before the stroke, I was an excellent cook. After the stroke, it's like, "Eh, I don't want to cook. Can we order out? (laughs) Well, it takes a lot of mental energy to cook. Yeah. And I had lost my taste buds, so I couldn't really taste anything. The only thing I could finally taste was Red Robin, hamburgers, and french fries, or um, onion rings. Okay, that's interesting. So we ate at Red Robin about five times a week for months on end. That's a good husband willing to do that. (laughs) Yes, it is. Okay. And I got my blood tested in November of that year and found out that I was allergic or sensitive to a lot of things. So I started to cook because I couldn't eat canned food anymore. And my husband got a little cranky with me because I would cook things that he didn't like. <laughs> so we had a come, come to Jesus. 
And now he's actually started to eat more of the things that I like to eat that are, I'm going to say on my diet. Okay. Give me an example. So I make tuna. I'm sorry. Salmon cakes. They're awesome. Now, before I had my stroke, I wouldn't eat fish. I like salmon and it's pretty wonderful. And he likes it too. It's weird. Um, He likes a lot more meat than I do. So sometimes I just make him a hamburger and he eats some of my regular maybe vegetables. Um, But I think he's over time learning to eat more like I do than he did. Just because it's easier or because his taste buds have now changed as a result of things? I think his taste buds have changed. So he has now eaten vegan cheese. And we don't eat regular, well, I never eat regular cheese. Okay. (laughs) Since I discovered I'm allergic to milk. But he stopped buying regular cheese and now he eats vegan cheese which I think is wonderful for him. Okay. I find vegan cheese just weird. (laughs) It's it's a texture thing and I find it really salty. Really? Yeah. I don't know why, but I find it, it has a very salty taste. And when you look at the salt contents of a number of vegan versions of things, they tend to have more of that. I don't know if it's for that umami thing or whatever, but, uh, so that might be why we like it because we don't add, uh, salt to anything. Okay. Except eggs. Okay. There, there was one restaurant in Palm beach, Florida. I want to say it was called Michael's or something. It was a vegan, uh, restaurant and I had gone a number of years ago and they made ice cream out of nuts. Yep. It was the most delicious thing I had ever eaten. So then I'm like, oh, okay, I'll go try it from some other options that are available to us humans that don't cook like that chef did. And I have to say it was night and day difference. I'd only want to have the vegan ice cream from from that place. Cooking, so you've changed your the way you eat because you discovered you had these allergies. Was yep. that as a result of the stroke or do you think you had those beforehand? Because your body sounds like it's changed quite a bit physically, emotionally, and mentally as a result of the stroke that some people don't think about. So I think I had those allergies before. Okay. So I was stuffed up and I went to three different doctors who did a skin test on me and they said, Oh, you're not allergic to anything. So this doctor took a blood test and it's the blood test that found that I was sensitive to all these things. And he told me that if I stopped eating the things that I wasn't supposed to eat, I would um, not be so stuffy. Okay. And I think part of it is, Well, I did. So I I looked at my list and I went through the store and 
It took me probably two or three hours, but I didn't buy anything that wasn't on the list. When I ate the things that I was supposed to eat and nothing else, I cleared up, right, completely. Did it, it help with the aftermath of the stroke as well? It, it did. So my right carotid artery had dissected. Which and that's what that caused the stroke? A, that's what caused the stroke. So it, that actually means that it had a tear. They said at the hospital that I wouldn't have to worry about it because it, it was closed down. Okay. When I went for my... Um, CAT scan, a year after, it had opened up. And do you credit that to changing I your foods and the way you lived? I credit it to changing my foods. Okay. So it went from completely blocked, and they told me it would always stay blocked, to open, which is... Amazing to me. Yeah, the body has an amazing ability to heal. Uh, I noticed that we've had some new people join us live on the live stream. If you're listening to podcasts, if you want the video version of this where you can actually see Marsha and I physically live, um, you can see that on YouTube or on Facebook or on LinkedIn or any of those social channels. But just for the new people, I am here with Marsha Moran, the author of Stroke Forward. She is a stroke survivor. And we're talking about her journey and how it changed her life and her husband's life and the way she thinks about moving forward and this next steps in her life. So Marcia, you talked about the food stuff, right? We've, we've talked about your husband and the changes that he's had to make. What does it look like for you going forward? Do you worry that you'll have another stroke? Do you, what, what's your thought process going forward? So I had a carotid artery dissection, and that happens to 1% to 2% of stroke survivors. They don't know why I had it, but they tell me that it's unlikely that it will happen to me again. So I'm going to say that it's unlikely that that stroke will happen to me, but I could have another stroke in the future because uh, my mother had an aneurysm that broke, so that became a hemorrhagic stroke, which happens to 17% of stroke survivors. Okay. My, my grandmother had a stroke and died. My great uncle had a stroke and died. So they're possibly in my future. Okay, so what's that like to live with that possibility or do you not try to think about it? I don't even think about it because if I spend my time worrying about, will I have another stroke? It's going to happen or that's not going to happen. But if I think about it, that's time that's wasted. And I think that time is much better spent doing other things, things that I care about. Is your husband in that mental space as well? You know, I haven't even talked to him about that. So when we talk about the stroke that I had, he's still upset about it. And I think that 
it's hard for me to understand how other people feel. But my husband is still upset. When I talk to my friends, they're still upset or worried. And I think, I think it's something that they have to get over. Okay. It's, it's hard from it's a hard. caregiver it's, perspective it's hard. because you just see somebody that you love has had this horrible thing happen to them and you were just helpless yeah. to, to do anything about it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, unless he had um, the TPA right there and knew exactly what time the stroke happened and knew how to administer it. If he was an EMT or a surgeon, there, other than calling 911, there's nothing he could have done, nothing your friends could have done. Right. In the book, you shared stories from different friends' perspectives, people you were supposed to, the person you were supposed to meet for breakfast, you right. know, and she's like, oh, well, something must have happened, but, you know, maybe she's running late. These are all things that we think about, but how do you, I know you want to have them move past it, is can you think of anything that they can do or you can do to help that happen? I don't know. I, I mean, this is something I've never really talked about before. I know with my mom, with all the incidents she had over the year and in the hospital, it, she, she was like you, like, okay, we just need to move past it. And I ended up having to talk to therapists to help right. me, but I know I never really did because I was always petrified right. of that moment. I would lose that person and yeah. that, it wouldn't be a bounce back again. Yeah. So I think if you are going to get over it, you're going to have to learn to how to live in the moment. You have to give yourself the space to see that, yes, it happened. And I'm going to let it be because that's in the past and I'm going to live every day the best way that I can. I'm going to think about the future, but really living every day and taking life as it happens in the moment is, I think, the best way to handle it. Okay. All right. In the book, you, you talked about a couple of weeks before the stroke, you had an um, extremely high blood pressure event. Oh. And the hospital, the, they basically just didn't do anything and they just sent you home. Yep. Does that ever cross into your mind as I should have pushed harder or, oh, you know, I just trust the doctors? Does that, um, the thoughts cross through your mind? Could it have been prevented? I think it could have been prevented. I think that I didn't get the care I should have. Did I know to ask for a different kind of care? No. I mean, I think that comes down to when you're in a hospital for a certain reason and you're not getting a care, you should ask. And we didn't ask. They said, they, they gave me nothing. They watched me for a while and they sent me home. I'm going, oh, okay, that's fine. Well, don't think that. If you're sure that something isn't right, 
you could ask for something different. I didn't know. Now I do. (laughs) Okay. What are some other tips you want to share with people about being advocates for themselves or for their loved ones in a crisis situation with healthcare? So the first thing I'm going to say to caregivers is that you should take care of yourself. So you should eat right. You should exercise. You should think about yourself first, because if you don't think about yourself first and you put all your effort towards the stroke survivor, you're going to run out of energy. And that's a bad thing. So I think I'm most interested in telling people about neurofeedback because that is a therapy that has been around for 15 or 20 years and nobody really knows about it. And neurofeedback is something that I like because until I got it, I couldn't talk or couldn't talk much. From the aphasia? From the aphasia. And so it was three and a half years after I had the stroke. And a doctor said, Marsha, I think this is really good. You should try it. And he gave me the website to go to and he said, take a look at it. And if you like it, come back and tell me. So I went home. Well, first of all, I had no idea what neurofeedback was, right? So I looked at the website and I found that 85% of traumatic brain injury survivors got better when they had neurofeedback. And I'm going, wow. That's huge. Yeah, it's huge. Now, a traumatic brain injury is different from stroke. But still, that's a huge percentage of people who got better. And I went, okay. So I didn't see anything on the site that told me that I would be susceptible to anything bad. So I said, okay, I've got to try it out. I went in for the first treatment and he put something wet and sticky. It was kind of like cat spit on my head. And he stuck um, um, EEGs on it, two positive, two negative and a ground. He turned the neurofeedback device on. I could see my brain waves going across the computer monitor. Right. I felt nothing. All right. Okay. So it uses the it uh, uses a charge of a one one hundredth of a AAA battery. So it is so slight that I couldn't feel it pull it pinging into my brain. But when I went home that day, I noticed that I spoke a little bit better. Okay. And after 16 sessions, I spoke, speak like I do today, which is pretty darn amazing. Because it's stimulating the brain in very specific areas. Yep. Well, that's wonderful. That's absolutely wonderful, Marsha, that you've come so far as you had. And I love how in your book, 
you share how to be your own healthcare advocate. I mean, you talk about specific things that caregivers need to know and questions and, and thoughts that you should talk about to the healthcare practitioners, to the hospital, um, things you should have done like uh, legal agreements with healthcare directives and things like that so that you know what your wishes are and the other person does if you're incapable. I I think that's so important. You said to me before the show started today that you're shifting your, your business life from the consulting work that you used to do to something new. Uh, why don't you share with that? Because I think it's it's such a huge thing to talk about how you're allowing this really terrible experience that you went through and turning it into a positive. So she wants to share about your next steps. Well, I recently joined the Health Coaching Institute, and I'm going to become a health and life coach in about six months. I mean, I just started last week. That's awesome. Yay! So the important thing for me is that looking out, I have not heard of a coach for stroke victims or survivors. And I think that's really important because if a stroke survivor doesn't have someone coaching them, in addition to caregivers, like, okay, I learned about health because I went to a doctor. Well, how many people are actually going to a doctor? Not that many. After a certain period of time, your insurance runs out or you just don't have the funds or you don't know of other resources that are available. And I actually think that because my doctor asked the right things and he took my blood and got some different answers that I didn't expect. I actually got rid of the inflammation that was so prevalent in my body. So I had a leaky gut, which means that I ate things that I didn't, didn't connect with me for a long time every day. So I think that if I can help stroke survivors, I'm in a pretty good place. I think that's awesome. Yeah. I I think it's a a beautiful mission that you're on to help other people. And I think it's a great business (laughs) model as well because the people need help. And, you know, you can almost hire yourself out as an advocate um, with rehab centers and things like that to help supplement some of the things that, that they're doing. A friend of mine, here where I live in Florida, she just got certified as an end of life doula to help people going through end of life to work with people who are in hospice or have been given a diagnosis to help them work through the different pieces and, and speak to what they may not be able to speak to a family member about. So I I am all for what you are doing, Marcia, to help stroke survivors move forward with their life. So congratulations. And uh, I'm so glad that we met that day with Steve. Uh, Thanks to Steve Ulsher of the New Media Summit, who got me to meet Marcia. So how do people, Marcia, find your book 
and reach out to you because the book is Stroke Forward. I'm holding it up thinking that everybody can see this, but there is a podcast, (laughs) which is audio only. And the book is called Stroke Forward, How to Become Your Own Healthcare Advocate One Step at a Time. And I love the book. And uh, there's information about Marsha on the back. She, you know, I rarely talk about this stuff, but, you know, you have a BS in political science, a master's in business administration, and you're taking uh, a complete switch from talking about performance in business to performance in life with your new moving forward. So how do they find this book? So they could go to Amazon and type in stroke forward and it will take me to my book. If they want to write, um, if they want to find me, I'm at strokeforward.com. That's strokeforward.com. And if they want to find me on Facebook, it's stroke forward. <laughs> so. Okay, so because I, I was having trouble finding you, I was looking for Marsha Moran on okay. on Facebook and wasn't finding that. So yep. I will have to tag Stroke Forward on on Facebook so I can tag you on this recording and stuff like that. Okay. Last thought you'd like to leave my listeners with? Yes. So for stroke survivors, never give up. Because if you can improve your neuroplasticity by doing things over and over and over, you can get better every single day. I love that. That is, that is just such a beautiful thought to leave us with, Marcia. And I love how your speech has come so far. And you're just such an advocate for yourself and for other stroke survivors. So thank you. Thank you very much. All right, everybody, I've been talking with Marsh Moran about stroke, stroke survivors, caregivers, being your own health advocate. You know, I've talked about this for years and years about how you can't just assume that a doctor tells you something and it is the truth. You need to fight for yourself and fight to be heard, especially as a woman where often you're discounted when it comes to healthcare conversations. So I invite you to grab a copy of Marsha's book, Stroke Forward, which has so many amazing pieces of information in here for stroke survivors, but not only for stroke survivors, but some really good tips just for people to know before you have an event that lands you in a hospital. And remember, everybody, at the end of the day, the right questions can change your life. So what are you asking today? Have a great day, everyone. You've been listening to It's All About the Questions, starring Laura Stewart. Connect with Laura at itsallaboutthequestions.com and download a free workbook that will help you ask better questions starting today.